Welcome to Empowering Business Women by Brenda Regiment. This program will focus on all aspects of women-owned businesses from a financial education standpoint. Get ready to learn about resources you can use for loans, tax advantages, real estate, and leadership. Now, here's your host, Brenda Regiment. Welcome to Empowering Business Women with Brenda Regiment. We are now Facebook Live. Like our page at BD Tax and Finance Group, and you can also friend me at Brenda Regiment. Today, we will be learning the definition of a real estate buyer's market versus seller's market. Our guest speaker is Edgar Sanchez, a real estate well-experienced professional. Edgar, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, Brenda. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I've um, been selling real estate for about 15 years. Uh, originally from the Bay Area, and I came uh, to Sacramento in 1979. Um, planted my roots in Sacramento uh, with my uh, family and siblings, and uh, so throughout the years, um, went to school and um, worked in different uh, positions. And in 2003, uh, a client of mine uh, mentioned that I would be good in in real estate, and he was actually a mortgage broker. So long story short, um, I started doing loans in 2003, and subsequently in 2004, I got my real estate license. So ever since then, um, I've uh, I've been selling real estate. Um, and um, I live in Elk Grove. Uh, I'm married uh, to my beautiful wife, Carla, and we've been married 17 years. Wonderful. And, uh, yeah. So. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here. I know that you're uh, very experienced. That, that's what we need today because we're going to talk about what does uh, seller's market versus buyer's market uh, is. And you know, after doing my research, I found out very good, interesting information that I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, the audience will be very interested to learn about. So tell us about that definition. Let's start with what the seller's market is first. Sure. So a seller's market is when there is um, a limited amount of inventory. So to give you an example, a normal market is anywhere between three to five months of inventory. Okay. Uh, a seller's market is when there's, uh, I would say, two months or less. So not enough inventory or homes for the amount of buyers there are. Okay. And so... Um, Typically, it's it's been uh, in Sacramento County. It's been less than two months of inventory. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What about a buyer's market? A buyer's market becomes uh, becomes a buyer's market when you have uh, anywhere between five to six months or more of inventory. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you remember back in. Um, in 2008, 2009, when there was uh, the real estate crash, mm -hmm. there was a lot of homes, uh, a lot of foreclosures, and there was a lot of inventory, and um, the number of homes just... So that was a buyer's market. Correct, correct. Okay. Um, two, if you go back to 2005, it was also a, a buyer's market, uh, and then uh, it started tapering down and then became uh, in uh, 09, 10, when the, the market crashed, a lot of the foreclosures started coming on the market. So okay, yeah. So we are right now on the peak. So I'm thinking that still the seller's market, and pretty soon will become a buyer's market. So yeah, we have been in a seller's market for I would say at least the t last 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, as we get into the fourth quarter, it's a seasonal slowdown. Okay. Um, and I think um, I think Sacramento itself has to start adjusting its numbers. You know, when I say. Uh, 
the traditional number of uh, months of inventory is mm-hmm. on a normal market three to five months. That's on a national level, but okay. real estate is localized. Mm-hmm. And so what happens in Sacramento is not what's what happening in Iowa. Right, or, absolutely. S- right, so right now um, we're in a seller's market. It is slowing down, but uh, on the flip side, we're starting to see more inventory. Okay. Now to say what's gonna happen next year, um, the experts are saying that 2019 will be a pretty strong year, but you know, uh, it's. It's one of those things where we can't predict the future. Well, hopefully it will be, right? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm selling my home next year, so we'll <laughs> see what happens. Yes. Um, can you please tell us what do we need to do when we are thinking on you know, selling our home? What is the first thing that we need to do? Give us some tips okay. of how to prepare. Okay, so when you're thinking about selling your home, uh, obviously there's a motivation to sell, whether you're um, going to move up and, and buy a bigger home or a different location. So preparing your home to list is, is a very big uh, task and a very important task. Um, getting it um, what we call show ready, a lot of little minor cosmetic things that really make a big difference. Um, I always suggest to have a realtor uh, come and do a walkthrough with you to give you recommendations. But for example, some of the minor things um, are if your front door is old and and the paint's uh, worn out, a nice fresh coat of of paint on your front door because that's usually the first thing people see See. when they walk in. Okay. Uh, A nice well landscaped uh, yard Mm -hmm. in the front. and then, of course, on the interior, just getting uh, certain things uh, buttoned up uh, because, you know, you want to make your home presentable and you only have one chance to make a first impression. That's absolutely true. So once you decided that you have you are going to sell that house and you're going to start with preparing the, the first prep right of, of your home. What about how do you choose a realtor? What's your recommendation? What what have you seen out there that when people decided to go with someone that they know, but then they they find that that's not the person they wanted to work with, and now they want to go with somebody else? What happens? Uh, excellent question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always suggest that you interview uh, at least two to three different agents, okay. and don't always go with somebody that you know or somebody that was referred to you by a good friend. Okay. You know, I always suggest interview two or three different agents and the one that you feel more most comfortable with, mm-hmm. then that's who I suggest you work with. Because okay. again, um, everybody nowadays knows a real estate agent mm-hmm. and um, and not because someone referred them to you, that means that they're, they're gonna be the right fit for you. Right, okay, so what do you define as the right fit? What are we looking for in a real estate agent? Well, you want to uh, make sure that your real estate agent uh, and you are on the same page Mm -hmm. and that um, they check off the boxes of what you're looking for. So, for example, um, uh, responsiveness. You know, when you call your agent to have a a decent uh, uh, amount of time between a phone call. Okay. uh, Looking out for your best interests and and looking for what you're looking into selling the home, Mm -hmm. uh, the price, um, and... um, and also just basically understanding what your needs are mm-hmm. and that agent willing to meet those needs. Okay. So communication is a must. A key. That's, it's key. That's the first thing we need to worry about, right? If this person is not calling us back within a certain amount of time that is reasonable or texting us or, you know, doing something uh, for us, that's really where we're going to probably start thinking that this person is not interested in our property. But yeah. also... I think it also has to meet our personality needs Absolutely. because they're 
I know for a fact that I'm a business owner and some clients, they need more attention than others. So we have to know, we need to meet on, you know, half, half of the way with this client. So to, for the client to be happy at the end of the day, you said something very important. You don't choose someone that you know. And I know, I, I personally know why you're saying that, but can you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. I mean, uh, for example, um, you're thinking about selling your home next year, and you and we've known each other for a few years. So the natural reaction would be, well, Edgar's uh, I've known him, and he's a nice guy, and you know, and we go out together, and our families are husbands and wives. But at the end of the day, you want to know what what makes me tick. How am I going to be a good fit for you? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, making sure that you're on the same level, and you know, and that our personalities click. Um, right. You know, there's a joke that I put once in a while on, on social media. I say, you know, I, I'm a psychologist that sells homes every once in a while, <laughs> okay. right? Because we have to blend yeah. our our personalities together. Yes. And if you're type A and I'm type B and I'm pushing you and you like to just kind of take your time, mm-hmm. we're not going to mix. Right. Or we're not going to blend. Right. So definitely, um, you know, yes, interview your friends, but also interview someone else. Okay. And that way you can tell. Um, the different personalities, and and at the end of the day, I think you'll you'll know that you'll find the right match. You're gonna, you're gonna feel comfortable with the right person. Thank you, Edgar. Uh, what can you recommend us, or can can you tell us about any experiences that you might have with uh, someone is trying to sell the home, and all of a sudden you find that there's liens on that home? What is the procedure, or what's what can we do to fix that? Excellent question again. Um, so one of the things that I do when I list a property is uh, I send the listing agreement to my preferred uh, title and escrow company. Okay. And uh, what they do is they uh, run or pull a preliminary title report. And that preliminary title report will show any liens, uh, encumbrances, or clouds on the title. Mm-hmm. And they will go ahead and uh, my escrow officer will uh, inform me, hey, do you know that they have this, this, and this? Okay. Uh, and then at that point, I uh, sit down with my sellers and just advise them, make sure that they know that they have a lien. A lot of uh, very popular ones are um, uh, utility liens. Mm-hmm. Uh, people just forget to pay them or they can't pay them, so they put a, a lien on the property. Okay. But the title company is the, the, the go-to. The one that will tell us, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So let's say that this client, uh, for some reason, did not pay their taxes on time, their property taxes on time, and that's their pending. Or there's another example is that maybe um, they owe taxes to the IRS, and IRS decided to put a lien on the property. Sometimes this client might be aware of it, sometimes they, they don't know that this is happening. Right. But what if they already engage into a contract without you know this information? I don't know if that's possible anymore because you said something very true that the escrow you know agent will find these things. But what if it haunts you all of a sudden? What, what happens when you're already in contract? What do you need to do? Um, well, if, um, if the escrow officer pulls a preliminary title report and it comes up on the preliminary title report, then the uh, agent will convey that to the seller. Hey, by the way, do you know you have these certain liens and some taxes? And then if you're already in contract, uh, usually we pull the preliminary title report before we go into contract, mm-hmm. but if it happens during the time that we are in contract, mm-hmm. then the seller has to understand that those liens and those back taxes have to be paid okay. out of the proceeds. 
Oh, and, I see. Yes, so then the title company will run the, uh, what they call an estimated seller's net sheet, mm -hmm. and they will put down all the fees related to the sell, uh, sale of the home, mm -hmm. and at the very end, you're hoping to have some money left over. Right. Because if right. there's a deficit, then you have to pay that out of pocket or possibly not sell so your it, home. So it, it will not um, cancel your contract. It only will, well, hopefully there's enough proceeds like you said right and it will come out of those proceeds absolutely okay yes and uh, let me give you another uh, sample of uh, another question what if um, there's a few what is it in the title there's a few owners and okay. one is not available and this person decided to sell the house but out of the three one is not available or we can't get the consent that, that this has to be sold Yes, um, that can be a difficult situation. Okay. Um, if you have two or three people on title, mm -hmm. uh, all uh, parties have to consent to the sale. Mm -hmm. uh, if they're um, away out of the country, then that could be facilitated through a be. notary, yes. Okay. But if they do not consent to the sale, then you cannot sell that house without full party consent. Okay. And. Uh I'm going to give you a worse scenario why this person went to his or her country and it passed away and not, nothing was done with that property. So if someone uh, went to their uh, home country and they passed away there and they left the house here? Yeah. And Is there any way to, that can be fixed? Were they the only one on title? That would be the no, question. No, no. Actually, there's two or three people. Okay, so yeah, in in the case in the case where someone passes away, then they would just have to provide a death certificate to okay. the title company, okay. and then that could be resolved. Okay, yeah. that's wonderful. I'm sure. glad that something came <laughs> done. <laughs> I was starting to worry. You know, people don't understand that we have to always be prepared for anything that might happen. You know, hopefully. We will have a long life, but if we don't, there has to be a will. There has to be a document that will state what we wanted to do with that property or that asset, mm -hmm. right? So right. I, when I talk to my clients, I'm always reinforcing, you have to get an attorney and get a will done or, you know, make sure that everything is on document so you can protect yourself because uh, a lot of times you have worked so hard for those assets that you have now and if something happens to you you still have family to worry about yes. right yes. and um or maybe you were thinking okay this is for my son if one day i pass my son will inherit this but if there's no document available most likely you know yeah. it's not gonna happen right? right okay so we're gonna take a very small break and when we come back we're gonna hear more about Edgar Sanchez real estate experience don't forget to friend me on Facebook at Brenda Regiment or like our business page PD tax and finance group if you have any questions you can always message us thank you we will be right back When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you are having tax problems, are getting IRS letters, or experiencing a tax audit, call 916-476-3244 for a tax consultation with your host, Brenda Regimond. Brenda is a tax expert based in Sacramento, California. You can contact Brenda Regiment by phone or email at 916-476-3244 or Brenda at bdtaxfinancegroup.net. 
We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with The Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Empowering Business Women. To reach Brenda Regimund on today's show, call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, you can send it to Brenda at bdtaxfinancegroup.net. Now, back to Empowering Business Women by Brenda Regimund. Welcome back to the show and Facebook Live. Don't forget to friend me on Facebook at Brenda Regiment. And we have been discussing the differences of seller's market versus buyer's market. Um, Edgar, before we jump in, into the buyer's market, can you tell me, can you tell me what does a 1031 exchange means? Okay, a 1031 exchange is uh, a tool uh for investors that own rent, rental property or investment properties. Okay. So if you're an investor and you're selling a rental property mm-hmm. and you want to avoid the capital gains, uh, then you just um, hire a 1031 exchange company and you have a certain amount of time to identify another rental property and okay. then you just roll those proceeds right back into the purchase of another uh, investment company. So that is a good way to defer prop, um uh, some, property tax. Um, yeah, the uh, capital gains. Okay. Um, do you see this a lot? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Um, and in the last few years, we've seen a lot of investors coming to Sacramento uh, from different parts of the state, the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And um, so, as they uh, purchase properties and then they eventually sell and buy, uh, move up to bigger multi-units, they uh, many of them utilize the 1031 exchange process. Okay. And what would you recommend for anyone that is interested more in this subject? Uh, first, if you could give us your contact number, but also, uh, can you maybe give us a website where they could get this information? I know it's better to consult, and I will always recommend that you consult with Edgar for more information, but also people wanna educate themselves sometimes, you know? Sure. So can you tell us about that information? Sure, so uh, as a matter of fact, I just had an investor uh, ask me about um, a certain situation, and uh, I use a, a 1031 exchange company here local, which I can give, uh, give you that information. And uh, I usually, 
uh, recommend my clients talk directly to them okay. because I'm not a, a, a an attorney or a, a licensed uh, tax specialist. I see. So whenever I get legal questions like that, mm-hmm. I refer them to the professionals. So it's always important to understand that. Yes. That not yes. every real estate agent can answer these questions, right? Correct. Okay. I can give them an idea of okay. what my past experience is, mm-hmm. but anything that has to do with legal questions, I always refer it to the professional. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. So first, your number. What okay. will be your number? Yes. So my number is area code 916 916-769-8437. 916-769-8437. Okay. So when you're doing a 1031, what is, I, I know you mentioned how the process is, but does it take a longer when you're doing a 1031 on the process than, you know, a regular um, buy or sell? Um, not necessarily. It depends on the market. Okay. Um, the, the, the seller has a certain amount of time to identify a replacement property and, uh, and then a certain amount of time to close. So, for example, if I'm an investor and I put my house on the market uh, today, uh, I have, I, and don't quote me, but it's about 180 days to identify and and close on a replacement property. Oh wow! Um, and it, again, it depends on the market. Mm-hmm. If there's if there's a shortage of inventory, mm-hmm. then that could be challenging. If there's an abundance of inventory, then it's not as as difficult. But um, you know, that's where you want to work with your uh, real estate professional and your 1031 exchange company, so they can help you guide. Okay. So that means that you have to do a research in the market before you can even think about this, because you said something. What if there's short inventory, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, once you find out that there's you know enough inventory and that this can be on, so we we have 180 days for us to do this. Yeah. So you have um, a certain amount of time to identify the property, mm-hmm. and uh, once you have identified the property, then um, the, the the legal code is identify. Okay. You know, necessarily have to close on it. Oh, I see. But you identify the property and then at that point, if you go into contract, then you have uh, uh, another three months to close on it. So I believe the total time is 180 days, Mm -hmm. uh, 90 days to identify and then another 90 days to close. I see. But um, yeah, if you you identify the property and then for some reason, you know, uh, you do your inspections and uh, something is wrong or there's... uh, um, something uh, that you're not uh, in agreement with uh, with the property, then you can cancel. Mm-hmm. But then you have to start all over again. Oh my goodness! I don't think you want to go through. <laughs> that looks like a lot of work and probably a lot of time wasted. Yeah, it right? could be. It could be. Okay, yeah. and uh, time is money, so I, we probably want to make a good research before that, we abso- do this. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I would like to talk about some tips on the seller's market and but before that can we define what earnest money deposit is okay sure an earnest money deposit is um, a deposit that you give when you write an offer Mm -hmm. and um, if your offer is accepted you typically have three days to deposit those funds into escrow okay and it ranges um, you know it can go as low as five hundred dollars to up to I've seen deposits of fifty thousand but the average of what people expect is at least one percent of the purchase price okay Uh, the more you put down as an earnest money deposit Mm -hmm. uh, the stronger your offer looks I see so uh, but every transaction has to have an earnest money deposit. So the expectation is at least 1% yes, of the yeah, price. Of the right? purchase price, correct. And then, but you are able to do a little more 
and your your offer looks stronger, you said. Yeah, oh yeah, you can put as much as you want down okay. uh, in, a, in a deposit. Now, let me ask you, what happens if for any reason this contract doesn't go through to that earnest deposit? That's an excellent question. Your earnest money deposit is protected as long as you have not released all of your contingencies. So okay. for example, if you put your deposit down of say $5,000 and uh, you have a 17 day window of inspections to do all of your inspections and something comes up at the property that you can't agree with the seller to repair or replace, mm -hmm. then you can cancel the contract and your uh, deposit is fully refundable. Okay, Yeah. so there's contingencies that have to be met. Absolutely. And with these contingencies, I know that there's time of the essence, right? Yes, yes. So we have to make sure that we move you know, as quick as possible, especially if there's con inspections or anything that has to be done with the property for yes. us to be, you know, meeting all the regulations. Correct, because not uh, not all the time it's uh, 17 days. Sometimes uh, the shorter your inspection period is, the stronger your offer looks. Oh. So if you put a 10-day inspection period, then you have 10 days to do all your due diligence. Mm -hmm. And uh, once you've released all your contingencies mm -hmm. and you are rounding third base and going to close mm -hmm. and you decide you want to cancel, you could lose your deposit. Wow, yeah, yeah. and then you put $7,000, that means that you might lose those $7,000. So yes. it's really not a game. People need to understand that if you're gonna you know, sell their home, it's not only about fixing the home, which is priority, but also understanding the rules of that contract because that contract can actually you know, bring in some liability if they're not understanding. That's why it's so important to work with the uh, perfect, I would say, you know, realtor, right? Real yes. estate agent, because this person is a professional that will bring all this information to you, make sure that you understand it, be on top of things, making Correct. sure that things get done because there's money involved. And not only this person wants to get paid, not only, the, you know, the, the, it's got a reputation to take care of, but there's your money involved that we do not want to lose. So uh, talking about money, let's talk about the price. Okay. Wait, how do you set a price on a property? On a home. Um, mm -hmm. So when I um, set a price on a, on a property, I look at, the activity of what's going on in that area. Okay. I usually go about a quarter mile out of some recent sold properties and I usually go back around 90 days. So I, I look at the uh, geographic area okay. and the time uh, 90 days back mm -hmm. uh, and I try to compare apples to apples. Okay. So you have to make sure that uh, you're with, within the same square footage and uh, the same uh, type of home as far as upgrades and then you make adjustments for that. But um, that's usually the best way to get uh, some uh, what we call comparables. Mm -hmm. So we look at some recent sales and then also uh, active. We want to know okay. we want to know who your competition is. I see. And if you're the highest priced home in your neighborhood, uh, then you're going to have a harder time selling it. So you have to be competitive. I was going to say that it's always recommended to probably set it on underneath the price that you know the comparables dictate, right? That's what you I know, was that, reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it depends on the market. Okay. You know, it depends if you're in a seller's market or in a buyer's market. Right. And right. there's different strategies. Mm -hmm. I've seen some realtors uh, price homes 5% less than the market um, to generate multiple offers. Okay. But at the end of the day, most agents know what's going on in that neighborhood mm -hmm. and what's going on with sales. Mm -hmm. So they're going to know if something is overpriced or mm -hmm. underpriced. So the demand is so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, I was also learning that 
when you are on a seller's market, you probably don't want to ask for favors, meaning that uh, can you leave the refrigerator or can you, you know, do something extra, right? Correct. What do you think about that? Well, um, yes, uh, in the seller's market, uh, the stronger your offer is, mm -hmm. the more chances you are going to have a get it accepted. So, um, for example, first-time home buyers uh, that are doing uh, what we call an FHA loan, mm -hmm. a lot of times they need a little help with their closing costs. Okay. So if we're in a seller's market and you're asking the seller to credit you uh, two, three, four percent of, mm. of the sale price, mm -hmm. uh, you're you, chances are you're probably going to have your offer uh, rejected because okay. the chances that there's another offer that's not asking for seller credit. Right. So it all uh, uh, generates around, um, re revolves around mm -hmm. the type of market. I see. And in a seller's market, you want to be the strongest, cleanest, mm -hmm. squeaky clean mm -hmm. offer. Which means not too picky. Not too picky, yes. <laughs> yeah. If you want to leave, you want the seller to leave the refrigerator, washer, and dryer, mm -hmm. uh, which is considered personal property, mm -hmm. maybe you should you should reconsider. Wow, look, you just said something. Personal property, what is considered personal property? That's new to me. Personal so it, property, yeah. yes. So personal property and a real property is um, two different aspects of a, a sale of a home. Personal property is all of your furniture. Okay. Um, your washer and dryer, your refrigerator. Mm -hmm. um, real property is anything that's affixed to the home. Oh, I see. Uh, like the dishwasher, fans. maybe dishwasher well, would be. Yes. Yeah, so in a, in a in a sale, the dishwasher, mm -hmm. the microwave if it's built in, okay. and the stove are considered part of that sale. It's, okay. Because it's it's part of the uh, the transaction. It's considered uh, real property. Uh, any ceiling fans that are affixed to the wall mm -hmm. are considered real property. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, if you have. Uh, window hangings, like, uh, you know, the blinds, mm -hmm. uh, those are considered a part because they're... They're attached. Attached, okay. yes, yeah. Okay, so see everything we're learning today. It, I mean, it, it seems like it's not important, but it's really important to understand these facts, right? So when you get a client, do you, uh, on your first discussion that before you get a contract, you go over the property and you talk about this, you let them know this can stay, this cannot stay, this is something that it might be available. Uh, but you also discuss if, if you're selling this property, how long do you need before you can move out? Because normally the, you have to move out right away when you sell the property. How long do you have? before you need to move out? The typical escrow is 30 days. Okay. Uh, it can range between 30 and 45. Um, the seller will typically dictate how much time they need to move out. I see. But the typical escrow is 30 days. Okay. And it could be done sooner, it could take a little longer. What if this person that is selling the house needed uh, after escrow close another 30 days, would that be possible? Yes. Okay. Uh, we call that a rent back. I see. So if the seller uh, agrees to a 30-day close, mm -hmm. but they need another 30 days to stay in the property, then we have to disclose that up front to the buyer mm -hmm. that the seller is looking for up to a 30-day rent back. Okay. And uh, again, they want to wait another right. 30 days. They're excited. They want to move into their new home. Mm -hmm. So that's a negotiation that's done during uh, the negotiation process of the, of the mm -hmm. uh, contract. But I think that that will be listed on the listing. Right. Yes. If the, sell, if the seller needs that amount of time, it yes. will be something that is already there. Yeah, it's in the agent remarks. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. So yeah, I, I would think that that's already disclosed. And then if you're in, still interested, then you already exactly. know the terms of how this property is being sold. Absolutely. Because um, one thing I was reading is that, um, you know, you need to submit the pre-approval and proof of funds documentation at the time of proposing the contract. But one of the tips is not do not delay the, the buyer's possession. So that's why I was bringing this up. I wanted to understand how long do we have, and you know, it, it's always good to know. Sure. So before we continue, we're gonna go into another short break, and when we come back again, we're gonna hear more about Edgar Sanchez real estate experience. Don't forget to friend me on Facebook. We will be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you are having tax problems, are getting IRS letters, or experiencing a tax audit, call 916-476-3244 for a tax consultation with your host, Brenda Regimond. Brenda is a tax expert based in Sacramento, California. You can contact Brenda Regiment by phone or email at 916-476-3244 or Brenda at bdtaxfinancegroup.net. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empowering Business Women. To reach Brenda Regimond on today's show, call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, you can send it to Brenda at bdtaxfinancegroup.net. Now, back to Empowering Business Women by Brenda Regiment. Welcome back to the show in Facebook Live. Don't forget to friend me on Facebook at Brenda Regiment. And we have been discussing the differences of seller's market versus buyer's market with Edgar Sanchez. Edgar, thank you again for being here with us. Um, I would like to talk about what happens when uh, your property gets reassessed after you bought the property. First, you know, we want to tell the audience what an assessment means and how does it work, please. Okay. Um, so the, the county usually uh, assesses the properties once a year. Um, and, for example, if, um, if we're in a market where the prices are increasing and they go up 10 
15% year over year. Mm -hmm. uh, the county wants their money. They're going to come after uh, you and they're going to reassess the property and uh, subsequently your tax bill is going to be based on the current uh, value of the property. Okay. Uh, so that usually happens um, in, in different cycles mm -hmm. uh, when the market uh, drops. Uh, they're not as quick to reassess your property because of course that's just money that you're paying the, the county. Yeah. So yeah. you have to be on top of that and okay. working with a real estate professional they can help you uh, fill out uh, reassessment forms. Okay. So when you fill those reassessment forms how long does it take before they can reevaluate everything? Um, you know, it, it, my experience is it could take a couple, two, two months maybe or less. Um, you have to have your real estate professional uh, pull some uh, comparables based on their guidelines uh, of the time of year. Okay. And then you you provide uh, that documentation to the uh, county assessor's office, mm -hmm. and they will uh, review it. And not all the time they will reassess it, but you know, most of the time I think uh, they're pretty good. They at will. It. Okay. Yes. Um, I had an experience with a client that unfortunately she owned this property and she decided to you know uh, pass the property onto uh, the son mm -hmm. and somehow I, I, I really don't know the facts but somehow the property got reassessed but she was still paying for the property so she just wanted to have this property be under son's name she was still you know owning the liability and, and paying the property tax but her tax bill went from let me tell you what nine hundred dollars a year because it's, she's an older lady she's had this property for a long time but now her tax bill is nine thousand dollars because it's a huge property wow. you know so they did not consult before they did this and I was in shock because I really as much as I wanted to help her you know once you see people like this that they work so hard for this property you want to do as much as you can for them but is there anything that can be done because I what I learned is there was nothing to be done but in your experience um, once a um, the property changes ownership and there's a dollar attached to it mm -hmm. uh, and the county comes back and reassesses there will be a supplemental tax bill. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, what the previous owner paid for it, and then the new owner paid for it. Mm -hmm. If it uh, if it was substantially higher mm -hmm. uh, purchase price, then they're going to get taxed a one percent supplemental tax bill on the difference. Okay. And it could be possibly, you know, I'm not sure the details of how she deeded the home to her son. Mm -hmm. um, so, but typically, if a uh, uh, a, a buyer purchases a home, let's just say for five hundred thousand, mm -hmm. and the previous uh, owner paid three hundred. Then you have a difference of two hundred thousand. Right. And the new buyer, the new owner, is going to get a tax uh, bill from the county, which is called a supplemental tax bill. Mm -hmm. It's a one-time tax bill, and it's one percent of the difference, which is two hundred thousand in this case. I see. So the tax bill will be two thousand dollars. Now let me ask you: Is this only one time? This is a one-time tax bill. Yes, oh, that's what I they call see. it—a supplemental tax bill. Okay. Yeah. Because I was not sure. I've seen that bill, and I was not sure if it's only one time or, or it comes every year. So it doesn't come every year. Supplemental taxes should be only once. It's only a one time. And then, you, of course, you have your regular property taxes on an annual basis, whether you pay those out of escrow or mm -hmm. you pay those separately. Okay. Yeah. What would you say to family members that decided to, you know, pass these properties onto their kids or, you know, grandkids and... It, um, the title has liens because of pro because of 
property tax issues, what would you, your recommendation would be? If the property has liens and they want to pass the property on to the, um, their kids, mm-hmm. um, I guess the first question would be, is it paid off? Mm-hmm. If the home is paid off, then the kids will not be uh, incurring a new debt. Okay, so let's just assume it's paid off. Okay. Um, and but there are liens, then you would want to uh, consult your tax professional mm-hmm. because um, now the kids are going to be uh, responsible for the, that tax base. I see. And if there's any liens, they're going to be responsible for that. Okay. So if the property is paid off, then the kids will still be responsible for any debt or any liability, tax liability that this property has. Absolutely. If they are now the new owners, yes. Okay. I see, and there's no way around it, right? No, no. It, uh, it, uh, the liens are attached to the property. Mm-hmm. That's why we need to make sure that we all make a research, right? When exactly. we're making these uh, decisions, they're big decisions. Um, and sometimes we don't know what's happened to our <clears throat> family members or relatives, close relatives. Always, always make sure that you go through that title company and do the research on that title before you make a, a decision that kind. Um, we have been talking about the seller's market. Let's go into the buyer's market. Okay. And if you give us a recap on what the buyer's market means so we can go in the software. Sure. So a buyer's market is when there is an abundance of inventory uh, anywhere between four or five months and more. Uh, that is the amount of inventory relative to the amount of buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a buyer's market, um, it's a good thing for buyers because they have choices. Okay. okay. It's not as good for sellers. Mm-hmm. It's good for buyers. That's what they call it a buyer's market. Okay. So they have choices. And now buyers could be a little bit more picky um, as, uh, asking for uh, incentives from the seller, uh, concessions from the seller, like mm-hmm. I was explaining, uh, credits uh, for closing costs. Uh, and typically you can also uh, offer less than what the, the, the listing price is because okay. uh, now the seller knows that he has competition mm-hmm. and um, the buyer says, look, if, if you don't take my offer, there's one down the street that I can, right. I can buy. Okay. So a little bit better for uh, more advantageous for the buyers because there's more to choose from. So for first time buyers, that's the best it's time. It's great. Yes. It's a, it's a great time for first-time buyers uh, because they have more to choose from. Uh, in the last 18 months, it's been very tough for first-time home buyers mm-hmm. because it's been a seller's market. Wow. Yeah. So uh, what happens when there's a lot of investors around? Um, if, uh, if it's been like it has been for the last 12 to 18 months, uh, it's been a seller's market and you have a first-time home buyer that have, you know, they've scraped enough money for a down payment. Um, and it, again, depending on the, uh, the, the price point, mm-hmm. but, you know, typically in Sacramento, 250 to 350, mm-hmm. um, and they're offering, um, uh, you know, with a, a minimum down payment and then you're competing with the cash investor, right. you can't compete. Right. And a lot of first time buyers got discouraged mm-hmm. during the, the time where there was investors. Uh, good thing is that the investors, uh, cash investors have, have tapered down in the Sacramento area mm-hmm. and now they're moved on to other areas because mm-hmm. now they see more opportunity, more yield. Okay. Okay. So okay. that's a good thing that we're that's seeing. That's a good thing. Yes. Yes. That we're seeing more inventory for buyers because, uh, you know, uh, it's tough that you see a, you're working with a first time buyer and, mm-hmm. and they keep getting outbid. It's frustrating for them and for you, you just you feel bad. No, we had a lot of uh, Bay Area investors. Oh yeah, right. Yes, we still do. But if you're saying that, that they already moved on to another area, that's a good thing. They're moving on. Yes. Um, I I do have an experience of what you know of 
when investors are around and this home it's for sale, but the seller will always look. I would. That's this is what I've seen. The the seller will always take advantage of choosing a person that wants the home for their family than rather an investment. Is that correct? It, that's very possible. And it, it does happen where you have someone that's been in their home for 30, 40, 50 years, and they're very emotionally attached to the home. And um, you get a, an offer uh, from a family that wants to put their kids in the close uh, school that's close by. And um, they're really, they love the home and they can see themselves living there and making memories there. Mm-hmm. Where, where you compare it to an investor that wants to just come in and bring renters. Um, the seller will usually look at the, that, that family that wants to, to, to live in it. And if, if the price is relatively the same, mm-hmm. not always um, the buyer will win by price. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write letters from my, 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 my clients that really love a home, and I write a little story letter about, oh, you know, wow. um, you know they, they love the home, the kids will be perfect in the, sc- mm-hmm. uh, in the school that's right down the street. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that tugs on the heartstrings of the sellers, mm-hmm. and so it can make a difference. So you can touch the seller's heart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's all about emotions sometimes, right? Especially when you have owned this home for a while. Yeah. And or this is your, you know, uh, first home and you raise your kids there. Yeah, it, it has to do with emotions and sure. how much you've done for this home. You want it to go to the best family out there. Exactly. So yeah. it's not always price. It's not always price. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's something very important for you to uh, remember. And the other thing I, I was concerned about is uh, the appraisal. You know, what are the odds for the appraisal to come uh, lower than it's supposed to. What happens? What, what do they need to do if that is the case? Well, that's why you need a real estate professional on your side to when you list the home mm-hmm. that they're uh, that you're listing it within the range of what the homes are selling for because the appraisers are going to go by the same information that you use to run your comparables. Okay. Um, it has happened where um, you know appraise the art of appraising is an opinion of value. So what one appraiser thinks your home is worth, maybe the other one doesn't think it's the same. Mm-hmm. So trying to um, list the home at a, at a competitive market price is very important. If that appraisal comes in lower, mm-hmm. then uh, there's a couple of different scenarios. There's choices. Okay. Uh, the, the, the buyer can say, look, you need to reduce the price to the appraised value mm-hmm. or we're going to cancel. I see. The seller can say, yes, okay, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Or the seller may say, no, you, we're not going to lower the price. You have come up with a difference out of pocket. Okay. And if the buyer can, and depending on how bad they want the house and mm-hmm. if it's a buyer's or seller's market, mm-hmm. right, all these things come in play. Mm-hmm. A lot of times sellers will, in this market that we've been in, in a seller's market, the sellers will say that the buyer needs to remove the appraisal contingency. I see. So it's important that the buyer's agent mm-hmm. knows the value of that home and what they're selling for mm-hmm. because the last thing we want to do is get a buyer into a situation where mm-hmm. they're overpaying for a property right. and then they're going to have to come out of pocket right. because they remove the appraisal contingency. Wow. So a lot of different moving parts and and having someone that knows the, the, the tricks of the trade. Yeah, you have to have somebody experienced and if you fall into that trap that now the, you know, the appraisal is lower and you really, I mean, there's so many factors that have to be involved in. But um, if you were to buy, let's say I am selling my home, but I'm also buying 
in contingency of selling my home, right? Mm -hmm. So pretty much I have two transactions going on at the same time. Yes. And that appraisal comes, one of the appraisals come back low. What is the procedure? Well, if you're listing your home and um, and you are looking for a replacement property and you put an offer contingent on your home selling, okay, again, having the right agent that is experienced with the contingent sales because you have two moving parts. Mm -hmm. uh, if the home that you're purchasing or your replacement home, if that appraisal comes in lower, then it depends on what you agreed with with the seller. Okay. Uh, on yours, same thing. If if the, your your appraisal comes in lower on on the buyer's side, then again, it depends on what you uh, agreed to do right up front. Mm -hmm. You can't come back later and say, well, you need to release the uh, appraisal contingency because at that point it's already in contract. It's too late. It's too late. You have to disclose everything and negotiate everything up front, mm -hmm. so there are no surprises down the Road. Okay. Can anybody sue you? Um, anybody can sue anybody. Okay. <laughs> uh, knock on wood, I've never been sued in 15 years mm -hmm. and uh, I plan on uh, keeping it that way. Okay. But I, I love that noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. But uh, let me tell you, I was talking about can anybody sue you if you're in contract? Like, for instance, you decide to, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, or I don't want to sell my house, but you're in contract. So would that person, can that person be sued by the other uh, yes. party? You can be sued for damages. Uh, okay. If you're a week from closing and mm -hmm. the seller decides, you know what, we don't really want to sell our house anymore, mm -hmm. then the buyer could sue the seller for damages. Mm -hmm. um, for, with, uh, for compensation for all of the uh, inspections that they've paid for mm -hmm. um, and uh, and it could even go to court and this, the judge may say, look, you need to sell your house because okay. um, depending on the market again, mm -hmm. that, that buyer could have found another home, but now because it's now two months later that other home has gone up ten or fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, then uh, the, the judge may uh, rule in, in the buyer's favor. Wow. Yeah, there are a lot of different, again, uh, scenarios uh, that could happen. But yes, a buyer could sue a seller and a seller could sue a buyer. Okay. And this is the reason why there's an escrow open and this is the reason why there's a contract. A contract, right? yes. So yes. understanding the contract again is very important. Yes. And uh, if you hire an ex expert as Edgar or you know other experts out there you have to make sure you understand the terms of that contract because even though things can be negotiable but you have to know what's in the contract you just can't say okay my real estate agent told me this and in paper it might be something different because things change you know yes. maybe you were talking about you know, some disclosures or talking about some terms and then all of a sudden at the end there was another conversation taken and that was put in place on the contract and now you're thinking that it was something that it was talked maybe prior to that. So understanding this, making sure that you know what's in paper is the most important thing. Absolutely, yes. Um, what is your recommendations for people that are trying to buy a home nowadays? Like for instance, let's talk about when they go and get a loan and uh, they want to get pre-approved. Because a lot of people think that just because they can go and silo.com and now they, they have access to these listings, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the best thing to do or you can get pre-qualified online and there's all these websites available. What is your recommendation? Uh, it comes down to the comfort level of the buyer and how uh 
technologically advanced they are. Uh, 80 uh, statistics show that 80 to 90 percent of the people look for homes online first, and, okay. th and that is uh, a pretty valid statistic. Mm -hmm. um, but getting prepared to to purchase a home, uh, the first thing is to speak with a mortgage professional okay. and uh, sit down with them and, and get pre-approved. They're going to run all your numbers and. And, and, and give you an idea of what your payment's gonna be based on the purchase price. And, and then once you have your pre-approval letter, you're also uh, interviewing agents at the same time. And once you have selected the agent that you fit is the best fit for you, um, then at that point you go shopping. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times people wanna go shopping, I call it uh, home shopping without pre-approval. Okay. And I don't uh, not show homes uh, for people that are not pre-approved, mm -hmm. but I tell them I have a way to express to them and say, look, if you're serious about buying, I'm, I'm not going to uh, decline an appointment uh, mm -hmm. for you to go see a home because you're not pre-approved, mm -hmm. but I would highly suggest it because if I see a home tomorrow or mm -hmm. if you see a home tomorrow and you fall in love with that home. Mm -hmm. Which happens a lot. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you want to write an offer, guess what? Mm -hmm. We cannot write an offer without a pre-approval letter. And by the time that you go and meet with your mortgage professional, it could be two, three days later, that house may be gone. Right. So it's always good to have your ducks in a row. It happens. And it happened to me <clears throat> at one point. Yes. You know, we found a home that is like the dream home, but 10 days later, it was gone. gone. Long gone in escrow and everything. <laughs> <laughs> the best time is now. That time is now, right? Yes. So uh, give our audience a last message of recommendations and also your contact phone number again. Okay, okay, sure. Um, so uh, right now, I just if I can touch really quick on um, all of the internet sites that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of uh, discount brokerages like uh, Brick, uh, Purple Bricks and uh, and uh, Redfin. At the end of the day you want to make sure that uh, whoever you use, whether it's one of these companies uh, or a real estate professional that's a realtor, uh, that you know what the expectations are uh, of that agent because okay. um, you want to make sure that they're out there fighting for you. And a lot of these, um, you know, some of these uh, websites work for some people, but at the end of the day, I consider myself, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the Nordstrom of real estate. So. You're not. You get what you pay for, right, basically. Absolutely. And um, we're not gonna. Uh, one of those other discounted websites are not gonna go out and fight for you. For example, if the appraisal comes in thirty thousand dollars less, mm -hmm. you know, I've done rebuttals on appraisals where I was able to fight the appraisal and get the the value back up and save the, the seller some money. Okay. So not everyone's gonna do that for you. So just make sure that you understand correctly what they're gonna do for you, mm -hmm. and you may save. $9,000 in commission, but you might sell your house for $19,000 less. Right, absolutely. So it's experience what you're looking for, especially in a market like this, right? Yes. Uh, thank you so much, Edgar, for you're, being here. You're welcome. I want to also thank our audience for tuning in today. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and we will be bringing more business resources to our social media. We will talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Empowering Business Women by Brenda Regiment. We hope you'll join us for another edition next Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend.